1: Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in lovely sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a well-known speaker on topics like COSA 2013, SOX 404, quality assessment reviews, also known as QARs, internal auditing and related topics. Today's guest is Jeremy Dillard, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Jeremy Dillard has over 17 years of audit and tax experience servicing clients in a wide variety of industries, including manufacturing, wholesale distribution, real estate, retail, technology, and telecommunications. Mr. Dillard has significant experience in technical accounting and audit research impacting privately held middle market businesses. Prior to joining his firm as a partner, Jeremy worked for international accounting firms in managerial positions such as Deloitte and McLeodry and Poland. Uh, Jeremy has experience, uh, experiences managing audits, reviews, compilations, and due diligence engagements for privately held businesses to large multinational corporations with SEC filings. He holds a license as a CPA, known as a certified public accountant, in California. Jeremy was appointed in 2011 to a three year term on the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, known as AICPA, on the Governing Council, which governs the CPA profession. Additionally, He serves on the AICPA Technical Issues Committee, representing the interests of private companies on accounting and auditing standards. Jeremy is a speaker for the AICPA Advanced Quarterly Accounting Update Webcast, and because he's a robot and does not sleep, he's also doing the AICPA Advanced Quarterly Auditing Update Webcast. Both of these webcast series are focused on educating audit partners who serve private companies. Also, Jeremy, because he's a Type A, has been a speaker at the AICPA National Advanced Accounting Technical Symposium. Welcome, Jeremy.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: Awesome. So I'm really excited to get this interview going because it's hitting a big topic in the marketplace. It's about COSO. And I wanted to get your thoughts, Jeremy, if you could talk about the main reasons why COSO changed its framework.
0: Sure. Well, as a background, COSO was originally released in 1992 with its integrated framework. And since that time, it's been adopted and become the gold standard around the world as far as what an effective system of internal control would include. However, if you think about all the changes in the business environment across the world, since 1992, there's been, there's been a lot of things that impact internal controls. And the COSO organization went back and looked at their framework and realized it needed to be refreshed to include things like the changes in technology and globalization, as well as a lot of companies now outsource more functions than they ever did in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's globalization, uh, increased outsourcing. Uh, in terms of, let's say, if you you don't have a core competency in, I don't know, HR or whatever it may be, and the framework wanted to adjust its its core to reflect, you know, it's been 20 years of these, you know, technology advancements as well as how we do business in the world, et cetera. So that 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 totally makes sense. Um, but I mean, for our audience, what what do you believe are the top three changes in this new COSO framework? The,
0: the biggest developments that I have seen in reading the documents over and over again are, first of all, um, when it comes to the group that's charged with governance in a typical organization that might be a board of directors, they've actually put in some clarifying language on what should be present to have the board operate effectively in its role of oversight of management. So for the board of directors, they, there's two big principles they bring out in the new COSO framework, and the first is independence, and the second is relevant expertise. So that that's going to be a real challenge, especially for companies that are smaller or closely held, to figure out how they can have board members, which are often held by close family members, but who also work in senior management roles. So trying to figure out how to have a board that can effectively challenge management and its um, strategic plans and its roles with internal control it is going to be a real um, uh, challenge but also an opportunity for smaller companies and private companies to figure out. Um, another change really is within the risk assessment. They went through and they they've specifically called out fraud risk as something that management, as it goes through its risk assessment process, that it needs to consider. Um, before, it kind of alluded to it, and everyone knew that they they were kind of doing it, but now it's it's explicit as one of the requirements in the framework that they really need to, con- to consider the fraud risk assessment. And the third one really gets back to what we talked about before with the outsourced service providers. Um, using an example you laid out, Sonia, of a payroll company, a lot of times management has the perception that because they've outsourced the work or delegated the work, that they're not responsible for it, and this is further com- uh, um, made confusing because of, say, indemnification agreements, even with the payroll company. However, management re- really needs to understand: at the end of the day, they have ultimate responsibility for making sure that that outsourced work is done properly, and that creates a. And that's what's um, brought out in this new framework is that concept that even though they outsource or delegate work to some third party, they're still responsible for making sure it's done right. And that permeates all elements of a uh, business's system of internal control. So, if you think about, say, the control environment and how management wants to run their business with whatever ethical and integrity, um, ethical values and integrity they deem are appropriate, trying to convey that also to third-party service providers so that they understand exactly how management wants that portion of their business run is is what COSA has really changed with this new framework.
1: Wow. I mean, those are actually pretty massive changes. One, one for sure, on, it, I could see a huge impact for smaller companies uh, that uh, require various audits, whether it's debt-related covenants or and or other financing uh, instruments that make them required to get audits, and, and then they're going to use the COSO framework. And more importantly, they haven't probably thought of their board of directors as <laughs> kind of the need to have independence and challenge management. So I think that there's a great opportunity, uh, especially kind of you being a partner, you, you've seen and, and done this, to see the cost-benefit analysis of having a, a board that's truly into independent and challenge management. And then the other, about the fraud component, it's always been thought of, I think, in our profession that, yeah, okay, you got to consider fraud within the elements of, of these because uh, it's an integrated framework. Um, but more and more, you know, the trending I've seen in indus- in our industries, both internal as well as external audits, is the focus of either a brainstorming session or or a regrouping, if you will, of the core elements of how fraud could occur, in, especially in those high risk areas of the business. Um, so it it provides a greater opportunity for management to actually kind of hone in their own skills of not always thinking that. You know, the business has been running the way it's been, and, and gosh, we really don't need to think about these what-if scenarios. But now it's making, no, this is definitely a requirement. And then those service providers, we've seen, um, you know, trending like what you're suggesting here about these uh, top three changes. The, it's it's not just, you know, signing a contract, uh, going with your example of the, the payroll And saying, well, I've outsourced that liability. You know, the the wage and hour issue is gone because I've already, you know, sent this off to ADP, paychecks, whoever the firm may be or company. But it, it ultimately comes down, well, no, management, this is still your company. You're on the hook for that. And then the culture aspect, I think that... Is going to be a learning opportunity for management to know that it, it is their responsibility it's their responsibility to align their core values of their culture what's most important to them such that these key outsourced service providers are in line with those same core values and there's been some communication or at least some alignment there to say yeah the one of the reasons that they picked ABC whatever that service provider is they're going to toe the line in terms of what matters most to us, in terms of our core values as well. Which I think, again, a lot of executives don't even think of that way. They think, I've signed a contract. I, you know, they're best of breed in doing this service for me. I don't want this in house. I don't want this department. Boom, I've off- <laughs> submitted it off, and it goes exactly. beyond just that SSAE 16 report where you got to review it. Sometimes, yeah, it's, it's it's going to be a radical change, I think, in the marketplace. Now, I wanted to switch gears a little bit about the AICPA, and I know you've been working on some materials there, and I, I, don't wanna, uh, I want you to explain to the audience about what are the top three objectives the AICPA wants to achieve with its guidance related to, to practitioners?
0: Sure, and that's a good question. Um, I've been involved pretty heavily with the group at the AICPA that's, that's putting out a lot of the tools and the guidance, to help um, practitioners and um, their clients understand this. I think the first thing, is their first objective really is to help with training, both the um, accounting professionals as well as their clients. So they've put out a lot of material already, um, toolkits, um, PowerPoint decks, and so on to help um, CPAs have in-house training for their own professionals as well as to have a client-facing presentation. So that they can inform the clients and provide some value to those clients that they serve um, also the cpa is really on board with this and in fact one of the the vps at the AICPA was part of the group at, that did this coso refresh project and one of the reasons like i mentioned before is they want to keep this guidance relevant if it gets too stale where a lot of it's just a little too vague um, it's a little too hard to implement especially it, and it's meant to be implemented at the largest businesses on the world stage, as well as some small privately held businesses that could be around the corner from your office. And they needed to really adapt this framework. It had it, it gotten to the point where it really wasn't something that could be adopted by a lot of companies and, and effectively put into place. And the third thing is they're also trying to keep this guidance easy to understand. So the AICPA has put out stuff that's in plain language. Um, they've put out items that are really try and cover, especially on the smaller end, because they recognize that a large company is going to have resources to implement this, but a smaller business is really not going to have a lot of resources, and they constantly run into those challenges. So they've put out guidance on this COSA framework to show how it can be applied. So even if it's a small business where it's just the owner-manager who's really the only one in management, and then there's probably a half dozen employees, and it's a million-dollar company or a $2 million company, they provided some... Some guidance and interpretations to help them understand how they could still use this COSO uh, framework as well and apply it to their business model, even though it's much less uh, informal than uh, the larger companies.
1: So, so it seems like the ASCPA put a lot of time and effort, and more importantly, some deliverables out there that are products and/or toolkits out there. But how should a CPA prepare first off themselves? And then their clients for this new framework, if you, if you could give, like, maybe a couple of steps that you would see practitioners doing it for themselves and then their clients.
0: Sure, sure. Um, I think what firms need to do, first of all, is acknowledge that this is going to be a change that's going to impact all audits. Because if you think of where practitioners perform an audit engagement, they have to obtain an understanding of the entity, and that includes its system of internal control. Well, now whenever they've been doing that work in the past, they've always been comparing it to some benchmark of here's here's a suggested matrix as far as those controls. Well, now that matrix is going to be changing. As a result of this COSO update. So, what they need to understand is that they need to have some training in-house so that their people know how this new framework is set up. It's not radically different. They've just really clarified and, and reorganized things um, so that it's going to change the audit work papers for pretty much every engagement. And also, COSO said that this is going to be effective for 1231-2014. Um, so I think it's December 15, 2014, is when the old framework, the 90, 1992 framework, is going to be superseded formally. So while this upcoming year-end audit isn't a, a drop-dead date for this, it's going to be the following year, but that provides a year and a half of lead time to work with clients because now that there's this structure that they've provided in, in the refresh framework that is going to be used to compare a client system of internal control to um, these benchmarks the last thing an auditor wants to do is provide or give a client a material weakness or a significant deficiency because the client didn't go through and analyze this and figure out maybe where there were gaps in their system of internal control and try and provide some uh, remediations for that. Um, additionally, the other thing is that CPAs are going to have to understand, and the COSA document is pretty clear on this, that they're not expecting just because they've updated the framework that a client's going to go through and have everything documented. They acknowledge in this COSO framework document that a lot of times, especially when you get into smaller companies, things are happening informally. And that's going to be part of what a CPA is going to have to do, is roll up their sleeves and go through and really understand what's going on. So, for example, think of an entity performing a risk assessment. Well, if I asked a business owner right now, are you doing a risk assessment, they would usually say no, they're not. But then if you rephrase the question as, well, if you where do you spend your time each day during the week? Where are you focusing your time? You'll find out real quickly where they view the most significant things happening at their company, which are basically the riskiest areas. And that that shows you an example of how it's not it's happening, it's occurring. It may be an effective risk assessment process, but it's all informal. And the CPAs are going to have to go through and spend time trying to get that documented with the client. Because the last thing you want to do is give a client a material weakness saying they have, they have no risk acceptance process when they really do. It, it just makes the CPA look bad. It makes the client unsatisfied. So it, all around, it's going to take a little bit of lead time to get CPAs and their staff trained, brought up to speed on this, then working proactively with clients to try and address this, educate the clients, and then work this all through. And like I said, there's a year and a half before that this becomes really a, a critical moment. So there's a lot of lead time to work with this.
1: Right and and the way I see it I mean just trying to put a timeline if I have a lull in my firm's practice let's say it it it's in the fourth quarter of of a calendar year that might be a great opportunity for the staff to be trained and then for for client engagements if it's the first quarter that I'm in heavy busy season which typically practitioners are knee deep in delivery mode um but But there ultimately is a closing meeting with the client, right? I've done this great service for you. I've provided XYZ value. And it's an opportunity, I think, for practitioners to say, and and by the way, (laughs) here we are in 2014. Here's this framework. You know, it's a great opportunity for communication with their clients. And, And during those closing meetings of the deliverables for, you know, the calendar year of 2013, they can kind of go over and say, this is the impact to you, client, or this is what we feel is the most important elements related to you and, therefore, have a dialogue that the next meeting they have, which should probably be shortly thereafter, is, okay, what's the roadmap in terms of a timeline such that in 2014 we're not caught up in, let's say, the fourth quarter of 2014 trying to figure out what are core elements that we should have addressed early on in the year. So I I could see that there's definitely a need from a practitioner standpoint to obviously, you know, look at their practice and their CPE requirements and, you know, the lulls in their practice. But more importantly, where is there a communication opportunity early on such that the client's also satisfied that the practitioner kept them involved very early and gave them some red flags or or at least some uh, guidance? Um, Can you share with us, how you were involved in preparing the a- AICPA guidance on, on COSO for practitioners?
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, basically, the AICPA approached me, I'd say, around December last year when this COSO update was really in a draft form, and they wanted me to prepare a practice aid. Um, and they wanted the two main goals for this practice aid was, one, to explain in plain language how this this framework update is um, just occurs, basically to go through and and walk through all aspects of the the new framework, but do it in a plain language and provide a lot of concrete examples that could be applied by really small companies and middle market companies. So, And then the second part of that practice aid was something that could be used by the firms and would help kind of link between the clarified audit standards and how they relate to this COSO uh, framework update. So I spent several months writing that document. Um, It's going to be published, as far as I've been told, on August 16th, and that will provide a lot of guidance and a lot of value, hopefully to both the firms as well as their clients. Additionally, what they had, they requested that I would prepare a PowerPoint deck that CPAs could be used for both in-house training as well as for external training to the clients. Um, And that deck's going through the editorial process right now, but should be released in conjunction with the practice aid.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, from a client's perspective on that uh, practice aid, is there is that a good resource for clients, or should they be focused on other resources? Um, I'm trying to think of the best takeaway from the AICPA guidance for clients.
0: Well, I I think it's going to be a good resource. It'll definitely help a client. Understand it. Instead of reading the 300-page COSO document, they could read the 50 pages of this practice aid that relate to what they need to know, mm-hmm. and and it'll provide practical guidance for it. Um, but it's all thing to take away from the guidance is this isn't something where they're completely reinventing this COSO framework on internal controls. What they're doing is they're it's an update, and what they've also done is they've organized things where before the, the 1992 COSO framework had pages that would talk about control environment and some of the aspects that were important, but that would be about it. It would be like reading an essay. Now when you look at this 2013 COSO framework, what you see is they provide under control environment underlying principles, which are the fundamental concepts that support that that component, that control environment. And then within those principles, they also provide points of focus that are examples of what could meet those principles. So it's provided a lot more structure So it really helps the client streamline what's going on. Um, And also the other takeaway really I would say with this COSO framework is a lot of times the what I'll explain to business owners is the value they have is when they can walk for their business is when they can walk away from it for six to nine months and come back and it's running just as smoothly as when they left. Mm -hmm. This COSO framework doesn't guarantee that, but it also provides a lot of the infrastructure that's needed from a controls perspective so that it'll increase the value of the business. So while I've expected that I'm going to encourage some initial resistance from business owners saying, well, it's more from their perspective they view it as regulation, but it's more work basically that they have to do, part of what I try and explain to a lot of CPAs is this also creates a ton of opportunity to go out there and add value to a client's business. Also, if businesses want to have someone who's independent on their board of directors, imagine if they hired a CPA or an attorney and brought them on board. To be that independent board member, they might only pay them, you know, a few hundred dollars for a board meeting once a quarter or once a year, but the value they'll get out of having a CPA or an attorney or some industry expert attend those board meetings more than exceeds the cost. So it's just helped. I think a lot of times it, it's something where just we have to, as a profession, go out there and present this as there's a ton of upside with this change in the COSO framework. There is going to be a little cost, but the, the benefit far exceeds, uh, outweighs the, the cost.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity, and like you said, it's it's an opportunity for the practitioner to see that upside. And and I like that analogy that you put. If you were to walk away from your business for six months and come back, you know, and it's still functioning and running the way you intended, th- that's true success. You know, the control structure works. And, and you're right. The 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 COSO framework is a, a foundation for that. Uh, now, Jeremy, I wanted to find out what's coming next for you because it seems like you're super busy. Um, are there any projects or collaborations that you're working on that that you're working on next?
0: Um, I, let's see. What's coming down the pipeline with the AICPA? Um, I'm part of the, the, the FASB's overhauled the, or proposed some changes, I should say, for the accounting of leases, and I'm part of the group that's Um, providing some feedback on that, on on part of a task force that uh, is coming up with those letters. And it's an interesting group to be part of where it has representatives from all the big four, some of the largest companies, some of the credit rating agencies, and those those conference calls get a little wild. Um, Additionally, the AICPA rolled out its own accounting framework um, for small and medium-sized entities that are privately held. And I was on the, the group that was heavily involved with reviewing that content and now it's um, they're also asking for some follow-up work on that. So basically, it's things that at the end of the day, I'm involved with that I see where it's going to significantly impact private companies, and I just want to try and do what I can to make sure it impacts them in a way where it improves financial reporting or improves auditing um, in a common sense way.
1: Right, right. But the, these are big projects. I mean, leasing is a big one that's been on the table for such a long time, and then – you know introducing a, a, a practic- you know the the actual framework uh for you know a specific type of uh company those private companies uh it's it's pretty massive it's it's a great project um Well, it has been a huge honor for me to have Jeremy Dillard as our guest today. Uh, Thank you for your time today, Jeremy. I know this has been a very interesting and very timely topic about COSO and and some of the key aspects of it uh, that I know our audience will get just a great value in understanding some of the key insights you shared about how you are involved with the AICPA and some of the major COSO framework updates. So, thank you for bringing these points to life. For my listeners Jeremy, this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. Signing off, just a friendly reminder, you can find Jeremy's uh contact information at his website at www.rjd-cpa.com again. The website is rjd-cpa.com. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: You got it. And thank you very much for inviting me to be here.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky.